Central. This is Tech Radio. All things computers, gadgets and web happening right now in Ireland. Hear us anytime on iTunes or download from techcentral.ie. Tech Central. Hello there and welcome to Tech Radio, the number one Irish tech podcast with you every Friday morning with your favourite podcasting app or Friday evening on RTE Radio. Our show this week kindly brought to you by Schneider Electric, who you can find online at se.com forward slash IE. My name is Dusty Rose. Welcome to show number 906. Joining me as always to just chat about stuff that's going on during the week is our editor-in-chief, uh, Niall Kitson. Niall, uh, the first thing, I'm kind of excited this weekend. Actually, do you know, I really am not putting myself in a good light here. Not with the general population of Earth. I'm excited because I've got a little project for the weekend. Okay. I'm going to get me an old laptop. I'm going to get me a little USB stick and I'm going to get me a little playtime with Chrome OS Flex. Chrome OS Flex. Uh, Great idea. Uh, I'm very happy it's out there. I actually thought people were doing this kind of thing already out of curiosity with uh, Chrome OS. But Chrome OS Flex for the uninitiated, which is pretty much everyone, is uh, it's basically a version of Chrome OS designed for old hardware. Yeah. So you've got an old Mac or an old PC lying about the place and, you know, it's it's underpowered. It's just not up to today's hardware standards. Do you know what? You can install Chrome OS Flex on it and it basically takes that computing power, that necessity away from the PC and more to a controlled environment like Google Workspace or Google, um, uh, what, what is it, the Google uh, Administrator uh, panel. So th- this is sort of for businesses and for educational institutions, people that mm. would have bought Chromebooks traditionally anyway, but now maybe they have a buildup of older PCs or what have you, where they go, okay, well, why can't we have... Chromebook functionality, Chromebook level performance Mm. and apps uh, and all that sort of thing, but also have a layer of control on top of it that you will be able to see what devices are using Mm. um, Flex on your sort of internal network and then decide to um, uh, remove them or add on new machines to the uh, Google Mm. Admin console that you're using. This is what I find really interesting uh, about it because Chrome OS has been around for a long time and yes, it has been used uh, for for school kids a lot uh, for people who are travelling and don't want to bring a full laptop with them or they just want something cheap and cheerful or whatever and it's been fine. I'm just hearing more and more uh, about Chrome OS being used in a business environment and Mm. and as you say, uh, now it is possible so that if you're using G Suite, you can actually administer like a a whole load of laptops and I mean, for anybody who is administering a whole load of laptops laptops and equipment, especially doing so remotely, it's brilliant because essentially what Chrome will do is it'll hold two versions of the OS at all times on the machine. And when you were doing an update, it will update the backup one and then flip it over so that there's no kind of real disruption in in, in service, if you like. Uh, And then the same thing is with uh, if you need to completely reset a machine, it will just reset the backup and then do it and it does it in minutes. Yeah. And I think for people that are advocates of, say, the right to repair or whatever, this is something that will increase the lifespan of PCs by a good, what, three to four years until they become 
completely unusable or the screen breaks or the keyboard becomes, you know, yeah. uh, totally rubbish. That This is really sort of squeeze the last drop of compute power out of out of your laptop, which is great news for businesses and schools who want to keep things, you know, want to get as much mileage out of things for squeeze budgetary reasons or just because you don't need to be handing out mm. high spec laptops to everybody. Yeah. Um, won't mean a thing to most consumers, uh, enthusiasts like yourself. Yeah, we'll be all over it. I, I imagine, what kind of machine do you have picked out to run it? Oh, my goodness. Uh, I don't know. A laptop my wife had cost 400 quid in Harvey Norman's like maybe five years ago or something like that. So it's like it's a 15 inch heavy black thing made out of plastic. <laughs> right, I, right. I, I think it's got one of those rubbish processors in it as well. So that's why I'm kind of like, you know, uh, I'll be interested to see how it runs on an older machine with not a great processor and with probably not a lot of RAM. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, uh, because you're working with a PC, I mean, these these things that are, you know, they can be changed. Well, uh, actually, do you know you what? So I, have an old, uh, I have an old Mac Mini lying around as well uh, with an mm. Intel processor, obviously, uh, and that is really slow. Um, yeah. I think it's twenty. It's one of the 2014 ones, I think. Um, so, and I'm kind of half thinking, well, you know, if it goes well with the old laptop, I'll just I'll just stick it on that box because I'm not doing anything with the box anyway, just to see what mm. it, what it looks like. Anyway, that's not news. That's just silly things are going to do for the weekend. Um, there actually is no news this week, according to Facebook. Uh, no. Oh, that's a very good segue. That is, oh, bottle that, Dusty. That's that's a really good one. Uh, yeah, for there is no more newsfeed as part of Facebook's gradual rebranding effort. Uh, it is now just going to be called Feed. That sounds, a bit, that sounds a bit weird, doesn't it? Just Feed. Just Feed. Well, what's your, <laughs> well I mean, you know, when you're t- chatting to people, what do you say? Like, do you say, oh, this was on on my newsfeed or... No, feed I've today. never said that. It's on my Facebook you know? or I saw it on Facebook. Boom. Hmm. And that's all I've ever heard. I've never heard anybody use the word feed with me and I've never used the word feed with anybody else. I think it's how they refer to it. Or if hmm. they need to describe, well, in this part of Facebook, which is your news feed or your feed or whatever it happens to be. Yeah, yeah. And, and of course, expect an awful lot of things to start having meta in front of us. Just to oh, it's all over, all over the place, all over the place. Uh, makes makes not a jot to me, but it's it's just to be on top of it. Um, what else to be on top of this week that I kind of picked up on? Uh, a little story from Google, actually. Okay. Do you know how they kind of like everybody? They're, they're getting into this two factor authentication, and you must do it, or if something happens, they'll force you into it, and all this kind of lark, right? Um, when Google had a story out uh, during the week saying that since they introduced two-factor authentication by default, mm-hmm. they have had um, a significant drop in account breaches. Yeah, makes sense. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Do you use the Google Authenticator app? I do. It's great, isn't it? Like yes. You get your access code. It's live Fabulous. for whatever it is, a minute. Fabulous. And then the code changes. 30 seconds, it changes. And it's brilliant. Mm-hmm. Until you lose your phone. Until you lose your phone. <laughs> and, and, then, uh, and then you're it's, in It's a really good do. piece of work. And it's such a simple thing that you can add to make your accounts twice as secure. There's something uh, they could do on it. And I, maybe you can do it uh, with Google. It's you can rename the actual authenticator because it's just tied in with stuff that makes no sense to me for various different accounts that I run. Mm, mm, okay. uh, and I would rather just be able to say, 
you know, Dusty's laptop or Dusty's bank account or have something, you know, kind of like that. Mm, it is yeah. just an authenticator. It's not actually the code itself. So no. um, I don't know. But anyways, back to uh, Google having the two-factor authentication by default, a significant drop. Would you care to put a number on it? Uh, okay. I'm, I'm, I think this depends on a couple of things. Uh, one's level of general tech savviness. That's fine. Uh, in the work environment, uh, where I imagine it is almost standard. Mm. I am going to say 40%. And I think that's, you know, ah, I think that's optimistic. That's, that's, that's a very, you think it's optimistic? It's a considerable, yeah. considerable, all right, uh, correct. Uh, Google say that since they brought in two-factor authentication, count breaches have dropped by 50%, by half. That's reassuring, isn't it? That is kind of reassuring. That's, yeah, absolutely. There yeah. you go. Just enable two-factor authentication. Have and the authenticator app downloaded on your phone. It's not that big a deal. You will be a lot safer. Now, let's get into some uh, little uh, TV bits and pieces. Um, Obi-Wan Kenobi is coming to Disney. How excited are you? Not very. Um, May 25th. Uh, are you excited? Are you a Star Wars head? Not really. Do you know what? Since this whole Disney Plus deal happened, I have, I'm so out of the loop with the Marvel stuff. Mm. Um, like I gather WandaVision was really good. Um, but all the other stuff just went over my head. Actually, I hear Hawkeye was actually, do you know what? I've heard they've all been pretty good. Pretty good mini series. Well, I was really excited to see The Mandalorian, all right? And I bought Disney yeah. just for that, right? Mm. Oh, it needed to put me to sleep. No, really? But yeah, it just kind of dragged on and it wasn't, I mean, there was a story and there was a, a, a getting from A to B and there were a couple of little adventures on the way, but like nothing. The only thing I've heard that was really negative mm. was the second half of the book of both Boba Fett isn't great. Well, there you go. And that's what I'm thinking when it comes to Obi-Wan Kenobi um, on, on, on Disney in May. And then the other thing, Disney do this and Apple do it and it drives me nuts. Okay. New episode every Friday. Oh, well, come on. I have no problem with Don't. that. Don't. Yeah, yeah. That's because you're happy to do what you're told. I'm not. <laughs> I want the entire darn box set and I will sit down and I will spend my weekend with Obi-Wan. <laughs> All right. right. And, then I'll, and then I'll go back to work on Monday. That's the way I want to live my life. No, okay. says Mr. Disney. No, says Mr. Cook. OK, <laughs> you've got another thing coming up that, that has you interested. Eh, I, no, actually, uh, again, another one I was disappointed with for exactly the same reason. Star Trek Picard. Or Picard. Uh, it annoyed you because of the distribution model. No, it uh, no because by the time I got to it, all of the episodes were there. Was fantastic, but I just felt it was a thin story stretched out too long. And yeah. actually, I'm finding that now. I'm not. I'm not just kind of coming down on on tech stuff and science fiction stuff. I love. I love science fiction, as you well know, right? Mm -hmm. um, but I just find they lack the pace. Right. And okay. I find that with box sets, I think, in general. My favourite box set is something where it's kind of like, OK, grand, it's a series of six, eight, 12 episodes. Done. All right. I'll take mm. a story, tell it over whatever, six, eight, 12 hours. Brilliant. All right. Um, I got stung with a box set, uh, which was a, a, a mystery murder thing, blah, 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 blah. And it was all building up to the end of the series after uh, uh, episode 12. And then it went to be continued. 
I no, no. <laughs> just went. No. I'm not going through a second series of this rubbish. So anyway, yeah. Star Trek Picard anyway is uh, coming out uh, next month, I think it's going to be. Uh, and actually for Star Trek fans, this will be kind of interesting because he's going to find himself in San Francisco in uh, 2024. <gasps> not that far away. Which is which is part of something that was referenced. Actually, that that happened in a two parter of Deep yeah, Space Nine. This is um, which was the Bell Riots. Yes, a key date in Starfleet history, and Picard is going to find himself right in the middle of it, and adventures will proceed from there. Good. Yeah, I I would actually be interested in seeing that, and I would wonder, mm. uh, out of mischief, would there be a cameo from? Um, Avery Brooks, uh, unlikely. Apparently, he's a very uh, unusual character. All right, but um, yeah, who I'd knows? Like to see that. Who knows? They did have some uh, good um, cameos in the last series, so so there you go. So yeah, I I, I love Star Wars, Obi Wan Kenobi. Maybe I'll wait until later in the year when I can sit down and watch it all in one go. Uh, see how the reviews are. Star Trek Picard, probably the same. I think maybe it might be a little bit better this time. Okay. okay. Oh, also, yes. also in geek news involving yes. uh, Patrick Stewart. Yes. He has appeared as an Easter egg in the new Doctor Strange trailer. Uh, <laughs> it being in the MCU, uh, there is only one character he could he could play, uh, that of Professor X. So there you go. It's it's all coming together. All these rights lapses all coming under Mar- the Marvel banner. It's Excellent. all happening. Excellent. Look it up on YouTube. Now, thanks for the news as always. Do remember you can get the lowdown on all things tech in Ireland with hourly updates, daily newsletters and more at our website techcentral.ie This is Tech Central. The COVID-19 pandemic has changed the way we work and, as a result, the kind of resources that we need to stay connected and productive. Kevin Brown is Senior Vice President of Ecostructure Solutions, the Secure Power Division with Schneider Electric. And this week he shared his insights with Nal Kitson on how companies have been keeping the lights on and the data flowing. Kevin, it looks like we're finally coming out of the pandemic era, sort of a very uh, challenging few years for businesses, large and small. Looking back on the experience now, uh, which is something I guess we can start doing, as an expert in digital transformation, do you think the idea of digital transformation itself has changed over the last two years? Uh, well, you know, I think it's, uh, it, I don't know if I would say it so much has changed. What I would say is, and uh, from people that we've interviewed both publicly and in my own conversations is the general consensus is that the pandemic accelerated digital transformation. So most companies were on some form of a digital transformation journey. And really what happened is when the pandemic hit in 2020 and everybody was sent home, uh, they took their plans and accelerated them. And there's terms like what we thought was going to take two to five years we had to do in two months. So it really was, to, uh, I think the right way to look at it is not so much as changed it, but accelerated the plans that people already had. I think uh, something that made a big part of that acceleration was the move towards home working, changing it from an experiment in a lot of cases to, I don't know, perhaps a necessity based on the sort of job you have to be something across the board. 
Do you think there was that sort of old mindset still there in some cases that, yes, some jobs are best done on the road, but do you know what? Everything can be done in-house as well. Was that something that you saw uh, being chipped away incrementally? Or again, was it that idea of we have to change, sort of wiped the slate clean, if you will? You know, I think it's an interesting question. And and from what we've seen with customers, first of all, there was just this tremendous impact when we send everybody home, right, at the beginning of the pandemic. For instance, uh, within Schneider ourselves, I did a, we, we have an interview we did with our CIO. And, you know, we went from, say, 20 million minutes of video calls per month to the next month doing 60 million video calls. So it was a huge strain on the infrastructure in terms of bandwidth and communications. And it really took the entire industry putting it, you know, working together to kind of work through those problems. And we talk about how we worked with our partners during that. Um, You know, we had instances of just all of a sudden, uh, you know, people needing UPSs at home because they were working from home. And all of a sudden we saw all these orders come in for small UPSs that, uh, we really hadn't had in the past. It was really just an interesting time about how do we actually allow people to keep going. And I think for the IT industry, really, it's in the data center industry it's uh, as well, is it's a huge success because the economy would not have been able to function and, and, and recover as well as it did through the pandemic uh, unless we had IT. So I think what became clear is IT is now absolutely mission critical, not only just for companies to run, but really for the, for the economy as a whole. Now, to the second part of your question, I do think now we're running into the question of we've been doing this for two years. Uh, do people need to come back to the office? Can they work from home? And I don't think the story's played out yet on how that's going to work in terms of, you know, technically we can do it. We know we can. We know we have a lot of efficiency when we do so. You know, but do you lose something in kind of the human interaction and collaboration uh, with everybody working from home? Uh, I don't think that story's done yet, and I think we'll see. But what we do know is technically it's possible, and, and for almost all, for, for very for a large percentage of the jobs, you can you can work from home. So. That sort of uh, element of getting UPSs out into every, everybody's home speaks to the importance of continuity, but it also has a knock-on effect on other technologies that are uh, still in their nascent stage. I'm thinking in particular of edge computing. Um, do you think that the move towards remote work has effectively changed every, every point of contact, every computer, into an edge device? Well, we think it does. That's the way our language is now. I mean, there's, there's, you know, this talk about edge and computing. You know, there's a, there's an, inf- there's an implication there about where is the compute happening. And candidly, from our standpoint, that might be an interesting conversation. But what's more important is now things that weren't considered mission critical in the past are mission critical today. And even to the point, my little wiring closet I have in my house, if that goes down, I lose the ability to do work. So it's, what's, what we're seeing customers now do is really assess where maybe in the past they only really worried about their core data centers. They're now looking at the entire hybrid environment that they have. And we kind of look at it as there's like these big centralized data centers. There's regional data centers that most customers have. Uh, and but it's a little local edge. We like to talk about it, where there's a lot of interesting activity going on in terms of how do I know that's healthy? How do I know it's up and running? 
How do I know it's secure? Um, and it, the conversations have changed in terms of how do we actually manage with this complex hybrid environment, including the server rooms and wiring closets that everybody is connected to. So from our standpoint, it's uh, really you know put a focus on uh, how mission critical the entire infrastructure truly is. So when we're talking about infrastructure now, we are literally going from, you know, the large desktop PC and of, and of course, you know, the, the server room all the way down to the tiny little sensors that we're placing uh, about cities, for example, to gather tiny little pieces of, pieces of information like, you know, traffic patterns or air quality. It's, it's all effectively relying on the same, uh, same infrastructure now. Yeah, and that's right. And, you know, and, and we think, you know, certainly there's this question about how do I know that's resilient? So how do I know it's up and running, you know, and historically the industry, that's all they, we worried about. So there's still work to be done to ensure that very small edge is resilient. But what's also coming out is it's also, is it secure? Because every point that's on the network is a potential vulnerability from a cybersecurity standpoint. So how do I manage that? And then ultimately when you take the, you know, this distributed environment or edge, is it sustainable? And what is the energy that's consuming? because there's been a lot of focus about energy consumptions and data centers, as we all know. But today, I mean, you know, half the energy roughly is being, is being consumed outside of the data centers. So that's also a challenge that we're, we're looking at and, and what is Schneider's role to help uh, our customers you know, deal with this issue. So then looking at that sort of transition from the edge into the data center, I imagine this also demands a new approach to data center infrastructure management. So coming at it from sort of a problem solving solution, uh, problem solving perspective, what learnings are you picking up at the moment? Well, it's it's. It's interesting from our standpoint, again, and I wouldn't limit this conversation to data centers. I think it applies in different ways to the whole hybrid IT environment, so in terms of disclosure, right? But again, we're, we're really looking at what are the tools people need to see that make sure it's resilient, but the security of it is drawing a greater attention. And, you know, we know, for instance, from data that we have in our cloud that roughly 65% of the devices that we know are out there are not running their latest firmware. Uh, we know that people don't necessarily do the basics well in terms of uh, enforcing the policies they have in place. So the, 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 the need for software tools to help manage that complexity is something in an area that we're focused on and, and really have uh, uh, been, been looking at as well is, uh, again, you know, are you even just deploying best practices on cybersecurity and keeping that up to date? Um, and in addition to that, you know, when you look at the data centers, we... The colo providers in particular, we think there's an emerging trend where not only many of them have put out that they're going to be carbon neutral by 2030. I mean, Equinix has, Microsoft has, Google has. You know, so the challenge for them, though, is that their customers are going to need transparency more than they've had in the past because they're going to want to know not only are you, you know, secure, but, you know, hey, I want visibility to your business processes to know that, you, you're, you're, that you're secure. I need to know what is your carbon footprint so I can report on my sustainability targets as well. So the need for this type of information being readily available is going to be much greater for the data center providers. But then also, again, half the problem is in this distributed environment, and we're going to have similar challenges there. So there's going to be this need for greater transparency. And how do you start connecting these disparate types of uh, 
information sources in a way that you can get generate a report that's meaningful, whether I'm the CIO of an organization, you know, what's my carbon footprint of my IT, or if I'm, you know, an Equinix or some other major colo provider, you know, what are the tools they need so they can provide that transparency to their customers as well. So it's really changing the nature of, uh, you know, data center infrastructure management, and it's changing it from, Hey, again, hey, do I have the devices and are they running to, okay, am I deploying best practices in cybersecurity, but how can I use those tools to give transparency on these topics that historically we, we, we haven't really had to focus on? So I don't know if that answers your question, but that's uh, tries to give a little perspective on our view. No, it certainly provides an interesting insight there because when we're looking at hybrid environments over the last few years, we've had people that either brought their laptops home from work or, you know, stayed at home as opposed to going back into the office to get stuff. So maybe they've been working off their own home computer uh, or maybe, you know, as has been the trend since smartphones arrived, people have held on to their personal devices uh, to use for work purposes instead of using actual work devices. So I imagine this has tremendous impact when it comes to uh, putting together that level of transparency when IT departments are thinking, well, yeah, we've, we, you know, we've got 10 different models of laptop out there, but we don't know actually which ones are being used or we don't know how many people are actually preferring to use their home devices instead of their company assigned ones which which i is a, a another headache completely so i imagine this all feeds into that transparency problem well yeah and and that's why you see you know i think we've always been talking about the need for standardization you know at, at schneider for years and and i do think this this is driving some of those, uh, you know, even more it talks to, if I've standardized all of my devices, if I've standardized what I have out there in my server rooms, wiring closets, what I'm deploying in data centers, it does eliminate some variables and it makes it easier to start tracking and managing those devices. So, uh, and so, you know, and most CIOs today, they'll admit they may not even know how many, you know, for instance, I, if I talk to the CIO of our company, and they've admitted this, is one of the things that came out of the pandemic is they started asking themselves, how many server rooms and wiring closets do we even have? And, and when it started, they didn't know the answer to that question. Um, if you were to ask pe- most CIOs, how many servers do we have? You know, you'll get some number that maybe it's like, you know, you know within a few thousand of what they actually have. So, uh, you know, the point here is, the more that you can standardize, the more that we can get software tools in place, the closer we're going to be able to understand what's really happening out there and how much energy is it consuming is, and how do I increase resiliency and ensure cybersecurity. Uh, it, you know, standardization helps, but really visibility and understanding just what I have is still a basic challenge for many of these CIOs. And then there's the challenge of not only of what have I got, but what happens if I lose a specific uh, particular cog in the system, for example, that, you know, how much redundancy is actually built in? Are you finding that systems do have that, you know, uh, an appropriate amount of redundancy or that there's far too much out there either being, you know, just uh, hardware that has been neglected or put in a corner, but nobody is actually terribly sure what it does or the fact that maybe it's been plugged in for years? Well, yeah, and you're, you're kind of hitting on two topics there is, first of all, do I have servers or equipment out there that's really doing nothing but consuming energy? And historically, that answer has been, you know, a very strong yes. And, and, and still there's that, that challenge that's out there, right? Um, you know, but the, but the other part is, 
uh, you know, what is, you know, how much energy am I consuming when I go into, so say I've deployed applications into the cloud and we're seeing this now happen is, well, how much energy am I consuming there, right? So if I've deployed into Google or Microsoft or Amazon, how much energy am I consuming there and what's the footprint because that's a shared environment. And so that's also, you know, playing into this. And then, you know, are people spinning up virtual machines in the cloud and then forgetting about them? Well, those still consume energy as well. So this problem that you're hitting on, um, you know, is a historic one that's that's there and it really continues. And again, it points towards what is the inventory of what I have and how do I know what I have? And and this is part of the challenge that we're trying to to understand is what are the tools and and and, and that we need to give people because you know, look, as I distribute things more and as I get into a more complex environment, the reality is, is I don't have the staff to do what I used to do 10 years ago. So it points towards how do I leverage partners? How do I leverage uh, software tools? Because we have to get more efficient at, at managing this equipment. So, and then one final comment is, you know, do I have the right level of redundancy was one part of your question. And and uh, candidly, in the big data centers, they've done a lot of work to try and ring out. I mean, we have data saying that compared to 10 or 15 years ago, we've taken out 80% of the losses as an industry that were in the physical infrastructure. Um, you know, when you get out to the edge, the redundancy needs might be different. And I think that's a very interesting question that we don't really know the answer to yet is how redundant does it need to be and what form does it take? So back to example, my wiring closet in my home if my internet goes down, well, I switch over to my what's still a 4G phone and I use that as a hotspot, so that's my redundancy plan. That might be perfectly acceptable. So we may not have this need to do what we've done historically in data centers with redundancy because there's other ways to solve that problem. So hopefully that makes some sense for you. <laughs> Lastly, it's almost a side point, but you raised 5G there. Are there any technologies on the horizon that you see as being you know, real game changers in terms of energy efficiency? Well, it's interesting, you know, first of all, even the move to 5G, there's a lot of discussions going on about, you know, how much more energy does it take to deploy 5G versus 4G and the performance that you're getting. So there's, there's kind of this, in the IT industry, there's always this uh, two counterbalancing forces is generally we want more of it. So as we consume more of it, it takes more energy. Um, there's people who talk about what's the carbon footprint of a Netflix movie if I stream one. Um, so, you know, and of course, there's a lot of work happening at the IT level in terms of efficiency of those devices. So we keep working to make the devices more efficient, but again, our consumption keeps going up. So they, they work against each other. Um, but of course, there are technologies on the horizon. If you look at the physical infrastructure, I mean, UPSs now are much more efficient than they were 10 or 15 years ago. I mean, the industry's done a really good job at making it efficient. We're looking at unique cooling architectures that make it more efficient. So there's this constant push on efficiency, again, but that's counterbalanced by consumption keeps going up. Um, and I do think that's one of the things that's exciting for the industry is all the sustainability commitments that you see the major players making is an important way to kind of, you know, yes, we want to be efficient, we want to eliminate waste, but again, if we can do it in a carbon neutral way, that helps offset it. So the industry really, you know, at the end of the day is, is quite, quite clean, it would be my argument. Um, even though you have this kind of dynamic of, yes, we're consuming more energy, but it's offset by efficiency and it's offset also by many of these companies funding, um, you know, uh, carbon-free energy sources. 
So it's almost if the capacity is there, it will get used regardless of, you know, people will find ways to make use of that capacity, even though they might need it. You know, today they will find an application that will make full use of it tomorrow. Well, that seems to be the history of humans, right? That's like, you know, 5G is coming out. We're not sure how we're going to use it, but we'll figure it out a way. I'm confident. And, uh, um, and it just seems to be the nature of how we evolve, I guess. And that was Kevin Brown from Schneider Electric. You can find out more about their power management solutions at www.se.com forward slash IE. And of course, that link in the show notes on your podcast player right now. That's it for Tech Radio for this week. Do remember you can get the lowdown on all things tech in Ireland with hourly updates, daily newsletters and more all for you for free at techcentral.ie. And of course, you can listen to our podcast every week online or Fridays with RTE Radio 1 Extra. Until next time from myself Dusty Rhodes and from Niall Kitson thanks for listening and have a great weekend Get Tech Radio subscribe for free with iTunes or download on demand at techcentral.ie Tech Radio is produced by digitalaudioproductions.com Tech Central